0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, as always, here with my co-host, Steve Flink. We're edging our way to the end of the year, the WTA official calendar. I know there's still some tennis being played, but um, the WTA finals have been complete. On the men's side, we just finished the last Masters 1000 event. We still have their year-end championships to go. But I will start with this, Steve this was not the best of weeks for both the WTA and the ATP tour. And we'll get into the details about that. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we say the cream rises to the top, right. And in WTA finals, it was Igas Viatek and in the uh, Rolex Paris masters event. I mean, why not? Why, why, why not be anyone other than Novak Djokovic?
1: Yeah, no, that was, that was the good news from both, from both events and that, you know, it, She sealed the number one ranking for the second year in a row. She passed Sabalenka at the last hurdle, beat her in the semis, and that was critical. And then she won the final and got number one for the second year in a row. And he's on the verge of an eighth-year-end number one ranking, which is astonishing. All, All he would really need to do in turn is win one match or Carlos loses one match because he's 1,490 points ahead. And you can only win 1,500 points for winning every match in turn, all year round robins. and semis and finals. So he's he's on the verge of, of sealing that. So that that was definitely the the best uh that was the best news coming out of this this past week was the supremacy of, of Djokovic and Suiante.
0: Yeah let's start with the WTA finals and we'll kind of uh lay lay the land here. Um way too many six love six one sets when you're talking about the top eight players in the world. Also the rain. Um, I mean, the, the torrential downpours, I don't know if you ever got an answer to this and, and we'll talk about the, the lopsided sets in a second, but why were the players still in their chairs with the torrential downpour and the winds? Was there nowhere else that they could have gone? I mean, you rarely no. see that in any other outdoor tournament. It starts to rain. If it's a any, you know, pretty heavy downpour, they're out of there. No, I,
1: I, it, it depended on the match, but it, no, it, was, it wasn't really fully explained by the announcers. I'm sure the players had their reasons. I can't believe they were being, with the rain of that kind of force, that they were being forced to stay there. But the other thing to add, David, to what you said, which is all absolutely right, is the wins were just miserable. So not only would you sometimes have two or three rain delays in a match, and 20 minutes of play, and then a 10-minute rain delay, and back again, all that disruption, but the win was murder. Sometimes you know, 25 miles an hour or more. It was really difficult conditions, which, which was I felt very sorry for the players. You're showcasing the eight best women in the world, and they were times made to look. It reminded me of a couple of U.S. Open matches I saw, including one with, veteran and Andre Agassi, where great players are made to look almost pedestrian because it they can cope with moderate winds, even somewhat heavy winds, but these were. These were impossible wins. So the combination of that and the rain, you just had to feel for those poor players. Plus, a court that wasn't producing the, the truest of bounces either.
0: And you're talking about the wins when they actually had to play through it. There's the there's the uh, the the video of Coco sitting there in the uh, with the umbrella overhead, and the thing just inverted and snapped right away. It reminds me a lot of my walks to work in downtown Chicago when it's freezing and it's windy. The umbrella, uh- it doesn't stand a chance. You look at the garbage bins yeah. in their umbrellas filled to the brim with it. It was a really rough, tough week for the players. Um, again, the six love six one. I mean, there were some routes in there and it just shouldn't happen with the, with the best players in the world to me. And I've said this a, a, a few times, um, Ega to me in any draw is my pick. Now, again, I know on grass that's that is her weakest surface. Maybe that's not your pick. Um, when you're dealing with a grass court event, but I'm still looking at a draw and we know there's a lot of players who had really, really good years. I'm still picking eager to come out of it. And she showed that this week. Oh, she did.
1: I guess 20 games lost, the fewest loss ever by a WTA champion since they went to the round robin format. So that's basically a 20 year period. And, and, uh, you know, she was back in that dominant mode that we've seen her at, at went back, like when she won her first French, and when Iga's in that mood and striking the ball that impeccably, she she there's no question she's the player to beat. The mystery to me, David, and by the way, just one quick comment: totally agree. And you and I talked about the fact that there were far too many love and ones and one and loves and inexplicable at that level. The final is I I is a different story. Pagula obviously didn't play her best, but this was much more about a top of the lines tech. She was sheer perfection that day, and I felt like. For Pagula, there was really nothing she could have done. Could she maybe have squeezed out a few more games? You could argue that, but I—I I never felt she gave up. She's one of the fiercest competitors out there, very prideful, and I just think she met Suyantek with Suyantek at her very, very best, and it's—it's it's easily the best match she's played in all of 2023. So unfortunately, Pagula crossed paths with her on the wrong day. The other matches are another story, but the final I think was much more about the perfection of Suyantec than it was about the vulnerability of, of, uh, Jess Pagula.
0: How about Jess Pagula? She's, I saw a stat, the only player to face number one, two, three, and four in the world in the same tournament since WT in the open air since what? 1975, I believe. Um, yeah. one, two, three, and four. She faced obviously the toughest one in the final didn't go her way, but, um, I mean, to get to the final and she had a great year and I know we're all still, you know, waiting for her to surpass the quarterfinal of a slam. And I think um, you would agree with me. Only time will tell. Hopefully um, they're getting to be stiffer competition up the top, but she's too solid where uh, and too consistent where I think she will, she will break through that quarterfinal mark. It's only oh, a, a think, matter oh, of time.
1: There's no doubt about it. And listen, in, on the positive side of things, yes she got obliterated in the final but she beat coco two and one she beat uh sabalenka very easily you know she she didn't lose a set on the way to the final herself that tells you something because she'd been the player in form just as much as Ryantek. so she can take that away the fact that she had those big wins along the way and the final didn't go the way she wanted but she's shown she beat eager herself a few times this year she's she beat Coco a, a couple of times. She's be, she's had a lot of wins over top players. There isn't any one player that can, can uh, dominate her match in, match out. So that that's reassuring to Bugula. The final didn't go her way, but she knows, she knows how well Iga played on that particular uh, day.
0: I, and and I don't want to get too much into like the summary of the, the year, because we'll do our year end segment. And I know we're going to have a lot of thoughts on, uh, on, on the women's players throughout the year, obviously the the highlight for the Americans were was Coco winning the Open, especially after what she endured after losing a first round at Wimbledon. A lot of questions out there, and then she hires you know uh, two new coaches to her team. Brad Gilbert is still with her um, now, and I mean just the the crazy run that she went in that went on in the summer continuing through New York. Um, we'll we'll get more of that into that in our year end. Let's move on to the Rolex masters because that was, that had also some quirks to it. And I mean, one of the unfortunate things, Yannick Sinner, he, he finished so late. They put him on a day session. It was a little bit later in the day, but it was still a day session the next day. He just couldn't recover just for, um, <laughs> just for the listeners, just to conceptually talk about this some of the late matches on monday they finished at 222 a.m on tuesday they finished early 11 57 p.m wednesday was 237 a.m thursday was 1204 a.m and friday was 12 59 a.m i mean that's just too much well david
1: david guess who got the 237 a.m that was sinner right And, and, and it was impossible for him to think about coming back and playing, as you say, late the next afternoon, he was not going to have nearly enough rest. Very bad luck. I think, frankly, a very wise decision from him, unfortunate for the tournament, but he's got turn to think about now playing in front of his home country's fans. And, and that was too bad because he'd come off the win in Vienna over Medvedev in the final, won a couple of tournaments this fall. He's really been hot. And uh, that was too bad that his tournament had to end in that fashion. But we got some some dramatic result, well not results, but we got some really compelling stuff later on, and mainly because of Novak, because Novak, he was almost victimized by a a stomach bug, and so after a routine win in his first match against Echeverry from Argentina, he then was in real trouble against Greekspor, and he lost the first set, and he looked like a zombie, you know, up 4-1, lost the set, and then the second went to a tiebreak, and he played a, a first-rate tiebreaker and then eventually won 6-4 in the third, but not before the score was locked at 4-all. And then he buckled down and won the last two games. And then he was still felt he, he felt like he was feeling a little better against Holger Runa, who beat him in the final a year ago. Runa is the only player to ever beat him in the final of a Masters 1000 when Novak has won the first set. And he did that a year ago. So that was interesting because Becker, Boris Becker being in Holger's camp now and uh, Novak's former coach and Runa playing better again after a terrible slump post Wimbledon and that 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 match Novak looked a little healthier but it still went three long sets and he had he almost had it in straight it was up a set in five four and four or five uh, uh, Runa was serving uh, to, to stay in the match and he saved it with a service winner and eventually won that in a tiebreak. one of Novak's few poor tiebreakers of the year and he said he thought it was his worst but then he comes back and wins that six, four in the third he looked like he was feeling a little bit better but then you saw in the semis against rublev you could see again in the first set the way he was walking around that he was really struggling with this thing it was just obvious in his movement and his mannerisms the lack of an, of that intensity or not emotive there were a lot of telltale signs but he came from a set down against Rublev. And again, he wins the second in another great tiebreaker, seven points to three, where he, did, he you know, gave away nothing. And and he had an ace in there and that's some incredible defense. And it was it was really about as well as he could play. And then he got the trainer out after the second set, but had to get his back rubbed because he strained his back. Luckily, that turned out to be insignificant. And he, he eventually won 7-5 in the third there. But so he's playing these... Three-hour matches, one after another. But finally in the final against Grigor uh, Dimitrov, he wins routine four and three. You know, 12 out of 13, he's won against Igor now in their careers. But it was no routine tournament. I don't think Djokovic has ever had to play that many matches where he's had a stomach bug, something that's been plaguing him and uh, sapping his energy day after day after day. And he said after the final, David, that he – uh he really couldn't keep any food down. He would have one meal a day and he tried to just have a lot of liquids that he thought that's the best way to combat a stomach problem is just keep hydrating, but he couldn't eat much. And you could see that at times the weakness and it was just very obvious. He wasn't feeling well at various junctures of those matches. But in the end, I think the incentive was Carlos lost early. He lost his opening match.
0: Are you concerned about Carlos right now with his little bit said it's a very long year. Are you concerned? about his health and do you think he'll be healthy for for Turin
1: hard to tell because he admitted he admitted that he wasn't didn't still he didn't feel he was a hundred percent yet and he's got this foot problem a little bit of a foot problem and then another muscle injury that he was nursing in his rear end I mean it (laughs) it was there was no one obvious thing you couldn't tell because he didn't talk in detail about it but obviously was disappointing to him to have a few weeks off and come back and lose that match so that with that Djokovic was then able to by winning the tournament, picking up a thousand points, he went from a five hundred point lead to nearly fifteen hundred. And that's why he's on the verge of sealing that number. So I think, frankly, a lot of the incentive for him over the course of the week was just his normal pride, but also, okay, I can I can really distance myself from Carlos now. And then that makes for Djokovic Turing becomes much more about winning Turing. Than worrying about number one because that should be settled fairly quickly. One would think it'll only take one win in the round robin. It might even be his first match, and I'm sure he's hoping it will be. And and then it's all about just focusing on the tournament. But I don't know what to expect from Carlos. I really don't. I he has not won a tournament since Wimbledon. Most of those losses, David, were you could say certainly justifiable. He right. Loses,
0: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind after Wimbledon was the Cincy final against. Right.
1: And epic. And that was actually the best he played in all those defeats by far. And he had a match point against Novak in the second set tiebreak. Lost it eventually in a d- down to the wire in the third set tiebreak. And then he lost. Obviously, to, and he had lost the week before that. Lost the loss to Tommy Paul, a bit surprising. And and uh, then he lost to Medvedev. But Medvedev is Medvedev. And even though he had crushed Daniel a couple of times early in the year, you can understand that. But then you know, since then, up and down, losing to Sinner losing to Grigor and now this loss to the young Russian player. And it's, it's been a tough road for him. And, you know, maybe he's tried to play through these injuries too much and he still looks so good in most of these cases in terms of mobility and the agility and the shot making that sometimes maybe that obscures what he's really feeling inside. So you, I hope all i say is this, David, I hope he should only play Turin if he feels like he really is a hundred percent because the danger is he does something to himself. He gets injured worse by playing day after day against the top players. At least in this case, it was over within one match in Paris. Then he has the time to try to get to hundred percent physically, you know, virtually a two week stretch. But if he, if he needs to be very confident about his physical state, or I don't see what the point of even going through with it. Yes. You want to play against the top players, but not, not if you're not feeling your best, not if you feel like you could go out there and lose two or three matches or, or perhaps exacerbate whatever injuries you've got right now. So that'll be very interesting to see what he decides to do. And that if he does stay in, how does he look in those first couple of matches? Because they're not going to be, they're not going to be any easy ones.
0: No, there's no, there's no easing your way into this tournament. I can say that much. Um, And it was interesting to me that he did say, you know, this has been a long year. And I think, um, him and his team will 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 kind of strategize, maybe um, do something, tweak a tweak a few things to his schedule, uh, not only just for next year but but the future. Because again, the type of tennis he plays is very physical type of tennis, and hopefully their their team can strategize and he can keep um, keep healthy here on out.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It, the thing is, though, I didn't feel like, and especially with some of the unexpected defeats, I didn't. It didn't seem like he really played excessive amount of tennis and his his year started late because he couldn't play in australia he was already injured then and then he comes back and plays a couple of those clay court tournaments prior to the hard court swing in indian wells miami but i felt all the way through well it's a pretty sensible schedule he's getting his rest weeks in and up until really right up until the fall it seemed like he wasn't he was okay and now maybe he maybe there were some nagging you know, niggling injuries, as they call them, but overall he was holding up okay, and seem, seemingly he was all right. But now it's caught up with him again, and that's why the Turin decision will be a an important one for him.
0: No, I agree. I agree with that sentiment. Yeah, look, I think we would be doing a big disservice to our listeners if we did not stress um, the great play of Grigor Dimitrov. I mean, my gosh, he has turned back the clock, Steve. I can arguably, I think arguably this is the best tennis he's played throughout his career. And he's had he's had many highlights. I know he hasn't won a slam again. Look at the generation he's had to compete against. Um, but I mean, 2000, I think 2013 was a great year. 2017 was a great year. Um, he's had several really good years. This is the, what the first time, uh, he, he reaches back-to-back master semis for the first time since what, 2014. I yeah. Think that was, um, he's had an incredible few weeks and really, really good year. Yeah. And you look at the wins
1: that he's had, you know, he had a Shanghai, he knocked off, he knocked off. He was, he beat Carlos there. That was another one of Carlos and lost, but he played a great match. And you look at uh, this week where he beat Medvedev and Herkash and before, and finally Sitsipas in a third yeah. set tie break beats both Medvedev and Sitsipas, he beat in final set tie breaks. And then he loses to Novak. But those were were great performances. And so you look at that level, and I do believe it it equals or surpasses anything he's done before. Seventeen was a bit of a window. Djokovic was hurt. He wasn't in the year-end championships. Grigor played a great year-end championships and won it. He, he, He took advantage of opportunities, but I'm not sure his level isn't even higher now. So I think, you know, there's a shot we could see him next year if he has a good start to the year, push, push his way into that top 10. And, uh, you know, I think he's very excited about the ground he gained over the latter stages of the season after really only a so-so year up until then.
0: But physically he looks great. See if he doesn't look as physically, he looks really, really good.
1: Yeah, he does. And he had that leg taped up, but it didn't matter. The mobility was, that was obviously very precautionary because the way he moved was spectacular. Yeah. So I, I, and, and, yeah, I, you could tell by the way he talked and the emotion he conveyed how proud he was of what he'd done, and the joy and the jump for, jumping for joy after the Sitsipod match, which he closed out in a tiebreak with four incredible winners, three passing shots, and a, and another point where he took the net away from from uh, Stefanos and ended up putting away an overhead himself on the bounce. So, I mean, played a perfect tiebreak to finish him off. A great tiebreak to finish off Levitov, and he just was outclassed by Novak. And Novak by then, it, he said by Sunday, he started. He felt a little better. He was better than he had been. So you could see that he was also determined to get it done and straight. And he just couldn't make any impression on Novak's serve. He never had a break point in the match. But that's no disgrace. That's Djokovic. Doesn't take away from everything that he achieved leading up to it. And I, I'm excited about what he might do in the early, well, really all through the, all through the 2024 campaign. He's, he can be a factor.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing how Grigor does as well in 2024. Um, a few concluding thoughts. I know we, you and I, probably discussed this maybe a couple of years ago when Roger was still playing full time on tour. But you know, Novak now has 97 titles, and Roger has 103, and the record holder is Jimmy Connors at 109. And I remember a couple of years ago we we're like. Roger, Roger's going to have a shot. Roger going to have a definite shot. Obviously things health wise his knee. Um, we didn't know that was going to maybe cut, uh, cut his career a little bit short. Him not able to catch Jimmy. Um, Novak at 97. Novak has said many times he wants to attain every single record that's out there. You know, 109 is in the back of his head. Well,
1: here's the thing, David, this year, Djokovic so coming into turn he, he's played 11 tournaments 11 he won six of the 11 when you can be that uh, <laughs> that efficient and effective you know when you when you when you schedule yourself as carefully as he does and who knows he may be at wins his seventh title of the year in the seventh seventh tournament of the year and his seventh title at the ATP championships in turn who knows he's the favorite but The way I look at it is win or lose in Turin. you know, there's a couple of big years ahead for him. He clearly should pass uh, uh, Roger. The question's going to be when he starts getting up in that 105, 6, 7 range, you know, can he do it in the next two years? And is he going to – would he definitely play three more years? I don't know. I think it's independent how – if he still feels the same motivation that he does now. And w- would it be enough to keep him around? For instance, if he got to 107 or 108,
0: he's continuing. He's playing would, would he play
1: on the next year just for that. He might. He might. <laughs> uh, uh, he'd be very worthy of it. Because here's what I'll say. You know, Roger Rogers was a, was a, a, an extraordinary achievement in in, in his era, and Novak's is in his. Connors was a great, great player and in, immensely consistent year in year out. But there historians know that there were some cheap titles in there. This is not to knock Jimmy, but there was a period in the mid seventies when almost all the best players, almost all the guys in the top 20 were playing WCT world championship tennis tour run by Lamar Hunt. And Jimmy played on the so-called the Bill Reardon tour. Bill Reardon was his manager and Bill had sort of a you know, entertaining kind of, he got to some different places and different cities, but the fields were many of those fields are really quite weak so jimmy so jimmy's record is a bit padded i don't want to say completely because uh, so many of those titles including eight majors are are phenomenal achievements but th- there is that to consider nonetheless they counted they're they worthy they were pro tournaments they just all i'm saying is some of those weird tournaments were comparable to 250s and in some cases i might even say they were Almost lesser grade than ATP 250s. That just to put it in perspective. Having said that, can't take the achievement away from him. It was hard earned over many many years, and it was the product of his consistency and his his great all court prowess. But I I do think yeah, Novak closing in on it. But obviously he wanted. Ideally, he would could get it done in the next two years, and he just might if he won say seven tournaments next year and six the following year that, you know, that, that then he's, then he's there. So, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's in a great spot right now to be at 97. So my
0: prediction, Steve is if he's close, even if he doesn't get in two years, if he's close to that one Oh nine, he will continue on just because of what he stated as far as getting as many records possible.
1: Yeah, they absolutely. And this one wasn't at the top of his list, but it'll get more and more interesting to him and more and more, motivating to him as, as he to closer. closer. The question would be, if he kind of, if he'd added a bunch more majors in the next few years, and he's starting to run out of that limitless willpower and, and ambition, it, let's just say that he tied Connors, that he's tied with Connors, wins 12 more titles over the next two years. I don't know if he necessarily hangs around to break it, because he would know that he had the major title record and the, and this was his 40th masters 1000, which is ridiculous, you know? And, 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 you know, he'll, he know, he'll know he had so many other feathers in his cap plus this soon to be eighth year end, number one ranking. Plus that if he gets that year end, he'll also go over 400 weeks at number one, by the because it'll carry over into the off season in, in, into next year. So he'll, get beyond 400 weeks so all of these things are going to be already in his collection so whether it would be enough if he were tied at the end of 2025 to make him play another year i don't know but i do think it'll, it'll make him extra motivated week in week out as the coming year comes whenever he's playing to think that each title is getting him closer, and the first, the first one, first thing he wants to do is get to hundred. That would be very satisfying. Then the next is pass Roger, get to one hundred four, and then he'll, then he'll start setting his sights on college. But, but I just don't know whether he'd hang around an extra year just for that.
0: Ah, he'll be at one hundred eight, and he'll start playing a couple two fifties just to surpass <laughs> him, Steve. Never know. Could be, could be. Uh, I do want to end. Um, I do want to end this episode on on a serious thought. And Steve, you're closer. Um, to this person more than others, um, obviously, because you wrote um, a great book on and Pete Samper's Greatness Revisited, um, you know, Pete recently came out with a statement uh, about the health of his wife, um, to me I kind of read the statement I'm hoping it's true that she's um, his wife Bridget Will, uh, Wilson is more on the recovery mode. Again, I don't know anything personal about Pete or Bridget, but how I interpreted the statement, it sounded that she was at this stage more in the recovery mode. Let's hope that is true, but sending good vibes, uh, sending prayers to the Sampras family. Um, and again, uh, you want to get a better look on Pete, his career, definitely go check out my co-host, uh, book that he wrote with Pete. Pete Sampras, Greatness Revisited. And Steve, I I know you echo my thoughts. I'll let you add any.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, listen, we all we're all pulling for him. And that's what he issuing the statement. He was just kind of looking for good vibes and prayers and good, good feelings. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad he was able to get that out into the public domain. and, And that must be something of a relief just to do that. And listen, he's a really he's a really he's a, he's a good man. And I've always, I I established a rapport with him going back into the early nineties and enjoyed writing the book. And I, we, we've always gotten along really well. And I feel for him as, as we all do, but I think, um, I'm sure she's in very good care and, and I got to believe she is making progress. So I I really wish them both all the
0: best. We're all, we're all thinking about you, Pete and the Sampras family. So with that, uh, Steve, thanks again for your time. And we'll uh, we got we got a couple more in us before the end of uh, end of the year. We're getting there.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, to to talking after. I mean, Turing, it, There's certainly going to be some dynamic matchups there because you, you just look at it, David. I mean, so you're going to split up Carlos and Novak, assuming Carlos does play. You split up Novak and Carlos. You split up Medvedev uh, and and Sinner, and and then um, and then then you got you know, the likes of Sitsipas and Zarev and Holger Runa making his debut and Ru- Rublev is right in there too. So these groups are going to be strong. We're guaranteed good matchups. And so especially those first couple of rounds, you know, I, I think that's always the most interesting part of the tournament in a lot of ways. When these guys play their first two matches, when everybody is still eligible, they haven't been knocked out yet. And so every match has such, such weight and importance. So I'm, I'm looking to go. So there's some some matchups that just should be magnificent. And yeah, uh, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll, I, I'm thinking we'll have a few less 6061 shellackings oh, in this, no, no. In this now uh, the, group as well. The,
1: the other thing is that last year, the court was very, very fast. I assume it still will be this year. It was a real server's court. So that again, that is also going to almost ensure a lot of seven five, seven, six sets, you know, guys are going to be holding serve. It's going to be quick conditions and, but I think it's going to be a a lot of fun and you know Sinner will be particularly interesting to watch there because he's gonna it either can propel him or cripple him is the way I look at it in the sense that you don't want to disappoint the fans they could lift you to rare heights and maybe he has one you know he has a great run or if for some reason if he doesn't win his first match and he's feeling it in the second it could he, he just does not want to let them down but at the very least he wants to be in that in the semifinals, and on form he should be the way he's played this fall he should win two out of three matches in his group and get to the semis but easier said than done
0: yeah especially with this crew um yeah. well said looking forward to seeing it i want to thank you again for your time this, this was fun thanks david enjoyed it